0: The year is 1963. I'm Dave. I'm Zach. And this is My Marvelous Year. Variant cover.
1: My marvelous year, the variant cover. This week we are talking about 1963. Putting a pin in this year, which uh, I think is well, I wouldn't say a strong year, but it's an interesting year. Um, it's kind of kind of historically pretty interesting. The the way that we're starting to see the Marvel universe built up and the interconnectedness. Like it, it seems like they're they're really deciding that th- this is what they're gonna invest in long term and uh, and you start to see the beginning of that with the fantastic four and spider-man specifically so uh, i'm excited to get into it and start uh start talking about it as always if you want to support the show check us out on patreon we've got a lot of really cool stuff there i'm really excited i'm switching up extra issues from the podcast which in my opinion wasn't working as well as i liked to a newsletter that i'm, I'm having so much more fun putting together um 1963 is a little late because I'm just switching the format, but that will be out soon. And uh, I'm just using a lot of art and going into a lot of detail about the issues that we don't get to cover on My Motherous here. So uh, if you want to check that out, find us on Patreon. And oh, also the Slack through our Patreon channel is really booming. Like the last two weeks, it's really kind of exploded and it's been a lot of fun. We had a really fun thread going the other day uh, talking about what if the X-Men was a like a workplace mockumentary, like The Office, and assigning each character uh, who, who their X Men counterparts would be. Uh, my favorite was uh, Christina saying that Jubilee uh, Jubilee would play Meredith because she can't stop kissing everybody. <laughs> I do like that.
0: Yeah. I you know who I if I was playing now, which I was not playing at the time. Uh, I feel like Kevin would be an excellent uh, Glob Herman. Actually, going for a young X Men deep cut. I feel like they would I, be a I don't perfect know who match. That is. Yeah, we'll, we'll get there, man. <laughs> I just had a, I actually had a Patreon request on Comic Book Herald for a Glob Herman reading order. okay (laughs) you can get real specific with those requests if uh if you're supporting the the work here so yeah uh, no it's awesome the slack channel has been cool um definitely go check out my marvelous year elsewhere you know patreon instagram twitter just again search for my marvelous year and you'll find us speaking of patreon that is where we do our our poll every um each year that we cover on the my marvelous year reading club and uh let's let's get into this one we have a walloping (laughs) <laughs> we have a thrashing <gasps> in this this week's poll i don't know the question in front of me but i believe it was something to the effect of who was uh more essential to marvel comics early
1: success stan lee or jack kirby I, I think it was just so i didn't say early success and that might have been part of the issue and just to be clear stan lee got 27 votes versus jack kirby's four oof so i think
0: it's it's not shocking to me that stanley the manly won dramatically um again like 27 to 4 i mean he walloped kirby i think so this is where we get into like issues of credit that i think have swung back around here in 2019 and definitely like in the in the wake of stanley's passing this last year i think a lot of people you saw love and adoration for the man and his works um but then you see the immediate sort of like but he didn't create everything by himself response that yeah. I think is kind of a gut, been a gut reaction um, as long as I've been into comics, like throughout the two thousands, of basically just being like, there's such a there was such an over credit to Stan for such a long time that the pendulum has swung back very very hard for people who are aware that there were other people involved to right. be like, no no Kirby was the genius Kirby was the genius you know so it's like I think that the truth is somewhere in the middle that both like them working together was extremely effective they were very very good together i mean i don't i like jack kirby an awful lot like his work he did a decade later with the new gods um at dc i think is really really cool stuff but man do i wish stan was their script in some of it like him on fantastic four is a lot better
1: i've heard that from both you and some other people that both of them great together not quite but they've brought each brought out each other's strengths that separately they were not quite as uh, as as incredible as they, yeah. they were as a duo. And that and it's a bigger
0: conversation. like I think Stan Lee, his his comics work without Kirby, or without Dicko for that matter, who were yeah, who we're not really considering here, it's yeah. just not as good. And I think the problem is basically you have a ten year run, essentially. You have like a decade, basically all the sixties with Stan and it's not just Kirby and Dicko that he's working with, you know, cause he's writing everything as we've kind of talked about um, or at least editing everything uh, you know, having a hand in plot. Like he's, he's so good for such a run. And then really after that point, it's very hard to point to like a good Stan Lee comic. So I think the easy argument to make is like, he was nothing without Kirby. Yeah. You know um, whereas Kirby went on and, made interesting comics he created the fourth world at dc yeah. like he was still full of really cool ideas i think unquestionably um i think a
1: lot of people break this down into stanley wrote jack kirby drew yeah when when i think there's a little bit more uh you know of a, a dynamic partnership there where like jack kirby was doing more than just the drawing like he was still coming up with ideas he was plotting he was yep. plotting i mean like but, but it, he does not i mean it, uh, the official Marvel line. Especially in the comics at the time is no, like <laughs> he was doing the art, yeah, Stanley right. was doing the writing, like
0: right, and that's the way it's credited until until a bit later in their in their publication history. I mean, I do think like this is where we so there's this thing called the Marvel method, and it's a style of creating comics. Are you familiar, Zach with the the Marvel method?
1: Uh, I've heard it, but i'm not not too familiar,
0: okay, so basically what it is known as today, the way that it's been explained to me, is basically it stems from Stanley having basically too much work on his plate. And rather than scripting out every every beat and every plot point, you know, panel by panel. So if you've yeah. ever read like a comic script, you might see like careful details of, you know, the panel, what it should look like, what should be happening, and then yeah. on you know, so on and so forth throughout the rest of the issue. Um, you know, I, I encourage everyone, like Google Alan Moore scripts to see an example <laughs> of like the the um Preposterous lengths that that Moore could go to in this like beautiful prose of detailing everything from color to smell to scene to whatever for the artist. Yeah. Stan Lee was not doing that. I think no. pretty quickly, um, what he was doing the way that the way that I think like Lee would describe it in the Marvel method was big, broad plot points. Like here's the direction of the story and kind of here's what happens, and then letting the artist fill in the rest. And what that leaves a lot of room for. Um, is is all the detail, and is what is actually happening panel to panel, and then Stan would go in and write in the dialogue, um, basically once he'd gotten these issues. So I think there are some serious questions that remain about like collaboration and the process, and exactly who who was doing what when. I my take again is always I love Stan Lee, <laughs> like so much. I think he was an incredible ambassador for comics. I think yeah. he was honestly a really, really fun, imaginative writer, and I don't think he would have been nearly as good without Jack Kirby's contributions,
1: you know, and, and vice versa. Yeah, I mean, I think part of the reason why people are so drawn to thinking of him as as the bigger deal is he was a great salesman, mm-hmm. both for Marvel, comics, and himself <laughs> as, as a property. Yeah. Right? That, and Jack Kirby... I mean, Jack Kirby didn't fill that role. That was not where, where he was working. So, like, part of me, like, worries that people just kind of fell for it. I don't know if that that's too strong. That, that makes it sound like it's a little more, like, sinister than...
0: Well, there are, some, there are some pretty obvious things that I look at now. Like, when I was growing up, it, you know, watching, like, cartoons announced, they would be announced by Stan Lee. Right. And it'd be like... Like, I remember watching the Fantastic Four animated series in the 90s, and... And Stan Lee would come on and tell you all about these characters he created and what's going to happen. And I I just thought that these were, this was his deal. I mean, for a long time, I
1: right, thought right.
0: everything Marvel was Stan Lee. And that's where you get like misnomers, like people saying, hey, thanks for creating Wolverine after his passing. And it's like Stan didn't even create it. Stan was done writing comics by the time Wolverine was around, certainly by the time he was popular. So yeah. you get a lot of like. I think somewhat misunderstanding where it's like people associate him with Deadpool and it's like Deadpool came, you know, well after Stan was writing comics, you know, and that's the thing you'll find in comics is, is who created what and who did what is, is a big part of it. I think if we really look at just like the question, cause obviously it's gotten bigger, you know, I, I think just because it's, it's interesting to me, the way people perceive the Lee Kirby dynamic. Um, if you're actually looking at 63, you know, and just looking at like, okay, in this early, early stage, who's, Who's doing more heavy lifting? I guess um, to really make, I think really what we're talking about here is Fantastic Four. Like, who's making the Fantastic Four so interesting? I for me, it's such an even split. Like, I I think er- Kirby's art gets a lot better yeah. on this series as as he gets a little more comfortable with the team, and but at the same time, like his action and the ideas he's putting on page are great. Um, but Lee's dialogue, like without the thing being funny. Yeah, without right. without the banter between the team, there's just there's, you know, this thing wouldn't be successful. So I, it's hard for me to pick even.
1: And and they get better and better. And like, I mean, it, it is really strongly Stan Lee writing these characters together and their dynamic and fleshing out their personalities through the dialogue that like mm-hmm. really helps these pop. But I also feel I really feel strongly that like you kind of put a stock standard superhero artist design over a lot of these heroes. They might not have that lasting power if Thor didn't come out looking like he did if the fantastic Four if I was gonna say Spider man but that's not true if the Hulk whatever all all these different characters didn't have such strong designs I think there's a good argument also if we're talking just on a purely art level, yes, I just worry i I don't think anyone's wrong for picking Stanley I just oh, don't not I at want all. To say that no. yeah no and no, I like I love Stanley like I love the the work he's doing now i just i I somewhat worry that. It, that we kind of have this simplified view of how stuff works. It kind of reminds me of um, talking about filmmaking, right? With the way that like everything is funneled through the director. Right? Everything we talk about is like, Oh, it's a director's work as if it's one person creating that, which is even more absurd in a film when you have editors and cinematographers and directors of photography and all, all the different moving pieces that go into that, that are really important. And, and, it's it's kind of just a way of simplifying it down so that we can talk about it. Um, but I think in the comic world where especially where that's a lot smaller of a of a team, it it's easy to I, I mean, we talk about this, but like I you know, I, I worry we're not talking about Jack Kirby enough, but like, how much am I gonna talk about the Ingers? How much am I gonna talk about the letterers, right? So I mean, even in that, like, those are big parts of this that Right. I, I'm guilty of overlooking, right? I, right? I'm trying to be a little more mindful of paying attention to the inkers and the ink work. But, you know, it's kind of like, a, it kind of reminds me of, like, bass guitar <laughs> in a band. Yeah. You know, it, it's very often like... Yeah, that's how it gets treated. It holds everything. Yeah, it holds everything together. But, right. Uh, you know, it it's kind of invisible to
0: most people unless you're really looking for it. Right, right. No, totally. Like, everybody knows Mick Jagger and Keith Richards but it's only the Rolling Stones diehards who can name the drummer and the bass player. Oh, I and thought you were about to pull that out. Do you know? Charlie Watts? Uh, I don't know. You're talking, you talking to me about Charlie Watts. I'm, I could be wrong. <laughs> <laughs> I have no idea. Okay. <laughs> um, yeah. So it, I think art credit is a big thing in 2019. And, yeah. and that's why when you see people really swinging for Kirby, I think it's because it's an issue today that artists yeah. don't get as much credit in the creation of comics. And it's like it's hard. <laughs> it's not yeah. easy to do, and it's not easy to do well. Um, so yeah. So Stan clobbered in our poll. I get it, but I, I do think like Kirby Kirby is probably still underrated in in the broad scheme of things. Sure. Yeah.
1: Uh, okay. Well, pretty pretty interesting discussion. I uh, I'm I'm glad uh, I'm glad we got to talk about that and that we we had some good discussion in the Slack and the Patreon comments about that as well. Just want to mention that uh, you can find the My Marvelous Year show all across our different social media platforms on Instagram, on Twitter, posting a lot of patrons' favorite panels of the year. Uh, I choose about 10 10 patrons for every publication year to have them pick their favorite panel, and I'm going to post that all over the place. Uh, So thanks for, uh, if you're backing us, thanks a lot. We really appreciate it. Also, reviewing and rating us on iTunes is hugely appreciated, and we've been getting some really nice, like, some really sweet reviews from people. So, again, if, uh, we read all those, so thanks a lot. Yeah, thank you, everybody. Let's let's move right into our listener feedback for 1963. So we got some good good letters. All right, so our first listener feedback this week is from Patrick. So Patrick writes, This year was certainly better. We're slowly seeing the transition from horror comics to more straight-up superheroes. It is interesting that Iron Man still has such a horror vibe to him. The idea of being trapped within a suit for the rest of your life plays to the horror roots. Do you think... I, I think... I feel like they played with that in the first issue. Like, he was walking away and they were talking about, uh, you know, that he was going to be stuck in the suit to survive. But then he quickly found, like, they quickly switched that so that he didn't really need the suit, but he needed that, like, battery pack.
0: Yeah, thinking of it as horror is interesting to me. I definitely think of it more as, like, melodrama. Yeah. Uh, the way it plays out like it's it's part of his sad
1: heart condition that won't allow him <laughs> to find love you know yeah, yeah right yeah okay um yeah that i mean that's an interesting angle though. So, right just kind of being trapped in this this thing and the, the kind of body horror of that yeah it's an interesting idea uh what i enjoy most about this year though is probably the introduction of some classic villains dr octopus and magneto dr octopus is himself right out of the gate I don't feel that he changes much personality-wise or even goals-wise. While he gains a deeper understanding of who he is, this version of the character is pretty much classic Doc Ock. Then there's Magneto, the X-Men villain. I would argue that the X-Men are not the X-Men without him. He represents the opposite of Xavier. His ideology will be important to the fabric of the X-Men narrative. So, three questions. What are your thoughts on Dr. Octopus being a mirror to Peter Parker? Both are scientists that gain power. Uh, I mean, I think that's an interesting idea that the comic doesn't play with it all at this point. (laughs) Yeah. It's not really there in the origin.
0: That's definitely something that has been developed. Um, in, you know, the Spider-Man two movie directed by Sam Raimi and, and no one else contributing (laughs) to, and, um, (laughs) and, uh, and the PS4 Spider-Man game most recently. I like that. I like that narrative Mm -hmm. construction where they are similar and friendly. You definitely don't get that here. Um, I guess it's kind of like a, you know, what if, what if the scientists scorned used his powers for evil?
1: Those are fun villain archetypes, right? The, like the holding up the dark mirror to the hero. I just, uh, I don't know if I see that here at all. At least like not even subtextually, like let alone in the text.
0: Yeah. I mean, even just thinking as Ak as continues throughout the 60s, I don't, it's not really a part at this point um you're not wrong to think that'll come but it's it's gonna be a minute
1: i mean even even slightly more that is Kurt connors as the lizard i think it's brought a, a line gets drawn between the two of them even a little more as you know he's also a scientist who had something happen to him but his accident kind of turns him into an animal versus spider-man's which gave him kind of beneficial powers yeah and the more i think about
0: it now like i think the rest of the Marvel catalog. um, or kind of hero canon has dark mirror archetypes like you were saying like fantastic four dr doom for reed frightful four you know it's like a literal counterpart yeah um, well, dr strange frightful four is like they have a girl zach they're just like them
1: yeah, yeah that that's <laughs> literally as deep as it goes <laughs> is that their um, genders
0: match up doctor strange has baron Mordo it's obviously yeah. like a yeah, one-to-one yeah, sure. uh, but spider-man actually doesn't really have that there's yeah. not like the teen with powers who is actually a bad guy.
1: Hmm. Yeah, that's an interesting point.
0: He just fights all grown adults.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, a lot of science, though. There is. I mean, that, that is a kind of reoccurring thing Is that sure. everybody like he got his powers through science gone wrong. And so did everyone else. But so
0: did everyone else. Yeah. I mean, not just in the Spider-Man canon. Yeah,
1: right. Uh, question number two. Who's your favorite villain of 1963? Uh, Sandman. At least this year, Sandman. Sandman was and it just maybe because it's the most fun issue. But like huh. Spider-Man fighting Sandman was really fun and like felt like the most dynamic villain for him to fight. In the most like, oh, how's he gonna stop this guy? <laughs> well, I mean, turns out it's a vacuum cleaner. But uh, <laughs> it's yeah, good good fight. That's interesting. I I
0: would probably go Magneto still. Uh, yeah, um, yeah. I just I... I love his design. I love that Kirby helmet. Uh, I I kind of I kind of enjoy because he's had so much complexity added to him over the years, going back to just evil villain Silver Age Magneto um, is kind of like just a strange. It's almost just strange to see, knowing how sort of like nuanced he has become. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, I think he's probably my favorite with the most legs from this time period.
1: Hmm. Interesting. Uh, so finally, Patrick asks. What is your secret mutant power that you have tried to keep hidden? <laughs> wait, 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 wait. Um, I want to guess yours. Are we going to reveal this? No, I was going to guess yours, uh, which is... Like, untying the... Uh, oh, shit, what's what's that uh, that big knot that Alexander the Great cut through? <laughs> <laughs> the, un- untying the, the enormous, messy continuity of, of superhero comics. Uh,
0: yeah, I mean, as mutant powers go, it was... It was less prevalent and, and easy to hide. I'm going to be honest <laughs> yeah. until this point in time, um, but yes, you did out me. That is definitely what what I guess my mutant power would be. I feel like yours is a is like an uncanny, if you will, ability <laughs> to pick up podcast editing. And, oh, well, thank and, you so like, much! In like, I mean, because you were brand new to this, right? Yeah, I never edited anything more. And I can tell you that I tried, you know, when I started, like I, you know, doing my own thing and it's not easy. So I feel like you took to that with like a forge like understanding of, <laughs> of technology. Oh, well, so, thank you. That's so nice.
1: Yeah. This, this just turned into, uh, the, uh, the coast compliment each other. <laughs> tell me why, tell me why else I'm great. <laughs> uh, oh, and Patrick also finishes up by saying you guys are awesome. Love the show. He signs it. Master of the Marvel Arts, Nerd Supreme. (laughs) Thank you, Patrick. Okay, so uh, you want to do the next? All right, so
0: next we had a note from Mariano. says, Hello, Marvelous guys. Mariano from Argentina here, giving my feedback on 1963 comics. Despite having two new titles like Avengers and X-Men, in my opinion, 1963 wasn't a great year for Marvel Comics. The Fantastic Four series seems stuck with serious mistakes in the script that are really awkward. Fortunately we all know that great issues are coming in the following years. The Amazing Spider-Man is the best this year, with Steve Dickos showing off his talent. The other series are still, quote unquote, under construction. Sometimes I think Stanley and Jack Kirby are doing too much work that keeps them from doing their best. Let's see what 1964 has for us. Thanks for the love and effort you put in all this. Yeah, thanks, I, I think yeah, thanks Mariana. I, I think the the workload thing is something we'll talk about in um in upcoming years as we read yeah. but definitely definitely that's a real concern i think for both stan and jack um where they are they're just like machines at this point it's it's incredible at this point.
1: how much stuff they're putting out
0: yeah um i i think like that's that's part of what you're getting with this year but also you're just like the kind of the training wheels are still on the whole like new superhero universe genre i i do think too like it's hard. It's kind of hard to imagine. I guess we even see it today. Like when publishers come onto the scene and they're like, we're going to launch a new superhero universe. You hear that today and you're like, that's a crazy idea. <laughs> like, <laughs> like that is, that is absolutely nuts. Like we have them and it's not like Marvel wasn't in that different of a scenario, even though they had a, like a publication history loosely, you know, like they were, DC was still there and DC's still DC. You know, and like before Marvel comes on with the Silver Age, even like DC's bringing in Silver Age Flash and Silver Age Green Lantern and the Justice League, like all this stuff is built in the DC world before Marvel launches Fantastic Four number one. Um, So they're they're battling uphill. And I think I think you're right to say, like, they're figuring it out. I I do think like if you don't think they're particularly great. I would recommend, like, read some 63 Silver Age Flash, which I think, you know, a lot of people like, but you'll get a really good sense of how different Marvel feels and how differently the characters talk and act and and the problems that they have. Like, you just, you don't see that in the DC canon, and, like, that's something that DC will forever be adjusting to as Marvel's approach really connects
1: with readers. Is Is it that Marvel is more grounded in, like, real human? Problems like personal dynamics and interpersonal drama, because that's the kind of the the feeling I get. The distinction between DC and Marvel is really like you know Marvel exists with a little bit more real concerns versus DC's, which feels more like big and mythological in a lot of ways.
0: Yeah, I that's true, but I don't know, I don't know that that's the feeling that would come through in like Silver Age DC. Okay. So much as well, I, I guess that's actually a fair point. Like if you look at like the Justice. League of America comics coming out. It's just like, I don't know. I think of like Super Friends and I think of, which is later, but I think of like, it's smiling Superman, Batman, and Wonder Woman. And it's (laughs) sort of like the sun is shining on them and they save the day. And it's like, you kind of just know, you know what they're supposed to be. Like, yeah, yeah, there's these mythological figures. Whereas like, like Superman, I, this is maybe misstating things because fifty Superman is really weird. But like, I think you'd be less likely to find, for example, a Flash issue where he has to pick up a, a costume in a store, and and it's too small for him.
1: Or thinks about quitting.
0: Yeah. Or or just talking about quitting, where where we see like Spider Man doing in the coming years. Yeah. Okay. Um, so some of this I'm probably overstating because I'm not as familiar with Silver Age DC. I think the bigger point more is just like the uphill battle that they're trying they're trying to carve out like what's our selling point what's our difference and and that's not an easy thing um that they're doing and they they do it well like we take for granted today like we know they win right it's like watching the movie where you're like we know the the good guys win here not to call marvel the good guys
1: and dc the bad guys i think a lot of it is also just i mean they've been it's interesting because stan lee and jack kirby have been working at marvel for 20 years on and off now except for a break during world war ii i feel like the next like between now and 65 is when we just see them like really really become like really good at this (laughs) yeah really good at this because the difference between their writing and specifically the pacing i think that's honestly the thing that they get the like the art improves but i don't think it's hugely better like it's because it's pretty good now and the uh it's just stanley's writing and the, the overall pacing of each, each issue will just get so much better in the next two years because I'm reading some 65 stuff now and it's just like, oh, I'm just like, I'm reading it and I'm sucked into it and I'm it's clipping right along for me and I don't feel like I'm kind of just like pushing through a wall of text. They sometimes do with 63 and it's just, they're just getting better at pacing out these stories and they feel like kind of more natural, you know, story arcs. So generally, I mean, there, there's exceptions. So. That's
0: a really good point. Yeah, no, but it is like they... Like anyone, they're just going to improve at their craft as they do it. And I think, yes, they're experienced professionals, but not specific to, like, the way that Marvel's developing. You know, that is new for them.
1: So, cool. Good letter, Mariano. Next up, we've got one from Jean. Uh, Jean writes, Avengers with the Hulk? How did anyone ever think that would work well in a group setting? It works in the MCU because it's Dr. Banner that's a member of the team, and he occasionally goes green. I'm already tired of Loki, and we're going to have him in Journey into Mystery for a while. <laughs> I, <laughs> I got to say, so I, I think I got pretty sick of Loki, too, in these first in this first year, because, like, half of Thor's fights are, like, Loki comes to Earth. He causes some mischief. Thor throws him back to Asgard, and then no one keeps an eye on him. He wanders around Asgard till he decides to come back, and then he fights Thor again. And it just, like, was this cycle over and over, kind of the same fight over yep. and over loki gets way more interesting when they start playing with him as like thor's brother like really leaning into the fact that he's thor's brother and that like they have a relationship and it's not pure hatred like they start talking about their backstory the tale the the backstories from journeys in the mystery become the tales from asgard and it fleshes out their relationship growing up like shows thor and loki as kids it shows them in the past having to go on these like military missions together and work together despite loki's you know machinations and deviousness uh that all becomes much more interesting when they really start pointing out that like thor is and has always been the you know the golden boy (laughs) of asgard whereas loki is this like sniveling creep in the shadows and feels inferior and that that that, like relationship just kind of is self-perpetuating so he, he becomes a lot more interesting not too long from now
0: yeah i I think journey into mystery as a whole improves as well once you get those tales of asgards flushing out the the world
1: yeah i i mean i'm you're gonna hear me say this a lot (laughs) but like by 1965 read everything journey into mystery because we don't talk that much about it on the list i think it's kind of overlooked not to call you out dave but uh like (laughs) i i think 65 journey into mystery is great i read every single issue for it and I think it's some of the... It it might be my favorite series that that year, so... Uh, All right, Jean continues. Women characters in Silver Age comics. Sue Storm, Jean Grey... (laughs) Jean Grey. (laughs) Uh, Jean Jean Grey. Uh, Janet Van Dyne. They tend to be afterthoughts on their team and just don't get the respect from their own team members. For both Sue and Jean, I suspect so many of us are looking back on these issues with what these characters become and are aghast. The babying and treatment that these characters get, or in Jan's case, their actual characterization is so silly and so wrong. Given the love interest in the other books, Thor, Iron Man, Doctor Strange, I wonder if Stan just wanted these female heroes along as love interests. Luckily, other writers fare much better with these heroes when they take them over. I think that's true. Uh, I like the way Dave put it, which is like the dadding of Janet Van Dyne by Hank Pym. (laughs) Like, that they kind of are just treated like silly females not even treated but like silly females literally called silly females like several times so yeah it j- just that they're all these like you know precious airheaded little dolls that need to be taken care of is very frustrating in the beginning and not not just because of the misogyny but also because it's not interesting Sue Storm is an interesting character and can be an interesting character but not if she's just like Always curled up in the corner, fretting, or Reed scolding her. Yeah,
0: no, there's definitely. Uh, I don't know. I don't even want to call it like a product of the age defense, even though that's obviously a part of it. Yeah. Um, yeah. just because like these the characters just they'll get a lot more interesting. I mean, I don't. I, we do try to call out like like Janet. I actually think is one of the best parts of the early Avengers, just yeah, by virtue funny. of having some personality and, and yeah. a sense of humor. Um, which you know i think we talk about a fair amount but yeah like susan storm she'll she, and even even within this era all of these characters will get more to do um and they'll become more confident in their power sets and more confident in their ability to contribute uh but it starts out pretty rough
1: so i don't i don't think it's great yeah and the, the product of their age thing is um I, I mean i think that that's a real like blanket look at like oh it's the the 50s the 60s like yeah they're just sexist because uh, 19, like 1962, I talked about this, um, in extra issues, 1962, in the context of, um, discussing love romances, the, the romance comic that's going mm-hmm. on, which I, I'd say anyone should check out one of those issues from around there. They're, they're pretty interesting, but this is when like second wave feminism was blown up, right? So like this, this is the midst of, you know, quote unquote, women's lib, <laughs> uh, is happening and and th- this kind of feels like in willful defiance of what is happening in the culture. So it's it's not like th- this wasn't being talked about. You know that like women's agency and women's uh, place in the workplace and in the home and those those dynamics and those relationships weren't being discussed in a, a broader cultural context because they they were actively being talked about right now. And it feels like they're not touching on it, and they will actually. I mean, Stanley. It's funny because, like, for all the all the things that like Stanley feels pretty regressive on early on, I feel like he kind of gets with the picture pretty soon. That the anti-commie stuff all's pretty ham-fisted at first, and then I feel like he has some interesting things to say about it eventually, even though he was clearly part of it at the beginning. Yeah, I mean, I do
0: think like Stan in particular and and Jack definitely like these are pretty open-minded creators i think like they're open to learning um as these things progress i mean definitely like i mean i I hear what you're saying about uh, like a decade from now in marvel comics you'll see the term women's lib like every other panel you know (laughs) like when they start introducing characters like valkyrie and stuff like it starts to become a really big part of like 70s marvel so definitely the writers and the storytelling like weren't weren't really privy to those conversations or at least certainly not incorporating them in their comics yeah. until significantly later.
1: Yeah. Um, all right. Uh, Jean continues. I keep saying Jean, 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 Jean continues. Couldn't Stan Lee find a book on science? <laughs> I've been waiting for Iron Man and X-Men to be in the list so I could rant about Stan Lee's complete non-understanding of science. According to him, transistors are like nanites of today, except for the thinking part. If he actually opened up an encyclopedia, he'd see they aren't as miraculous as he makes them out to be. And magnetism. Magneto uses magnetism for so many things that couldn't actually work. Add any kind of radiation into the mix, and those are those are all miracle working sciency things that stand it's wrong. Unfortunately, the worst is yet to come. I love, I love
0: dumb comic book science. Like, I don't, to me, that's a feature, not a bug, like, of <laughs> Silver Age comics. If you're, if you're reading these looking for real scientific explanations, like, you're, yeah, you're in the wrong place. I mean, like, it's just, it's, it's science fiction with the loosest understanding of the concepts you're talking about.
1: And, like, that'll become a little less prevalent. I think it's funny. Uh, Maybe I'm not as on board as you. I I think I mostly just get a little bored because it's the same thing over and over. Like, there are probably literally, at this point, 25 different characters who got their powers through radiation, not counting the X-Men. So, like, it just feels like he took one thing and he's just really driving home with it. Yeah, but that's a huge thing from the era.
0: Yeah, yeah, sure. That's not i don't know i mean you have to have something that creates all these things yeah that yeah. creates all these
1: power sets yeah if you're interested in this question hold on till uh 1964's poll because uh we'll be we'll be talking about this he continues i love dr strange and didn't think i would but the human torch parts of dr the human port human porch <laughs> that's a good that sounds like a uh, great lakes avenger member <laughs> the I, would en- I would enjoy a
0: human porch series absolutely <laughs>
1: But the Human Torch parts of Strange Tales are just so bluff I just feel his characterization in these stories doesn't go with the characterization in the main FF stories, which I kind of agree. He's just like without the rest of the team. Johnny Storm is just he's a teen with powers. I feel he's the most uh, he's the most clear stand in for teen readers of any of the characters during at this period. Yeah,
0: I mean, there's a reason that by by 65 Torch will be, you know, booted. From Strange Tales in favor of uh in favor of Nick Fury, um, yeah I can't I can't really stand up and represent for these comics because I agree they're they're they are about the most like middle of the road like if you were gonna define like what is it exactly average Marvel comic it'd be like oh here's this Torch tale from Strange Tales
1: and they get a little bit more interesting because they start being Torch Ben Grimm stories and their dynamic is kind of fun
0: once they take on that kind of early two in one vibe they do get more fun
1: yeah. Uh, so wrapping up, nineteen sixty-three is still a little tough to swallow from the twist, from the story perspective, but Fantastic Four and Spider-Man are getting their feet well underneath them, and the new series also looks promising. Yeah, I I agree. I think uh, I think Spider-Man actually started out a little rough for me and got better as the year went on. Fantastic Four had its moments, starting to characterize people. Yeah, still not like great, but we're starting to see glimpses of uh, of what's going to make these characters so good. Yeah, it's early a little bit more here uh i'm reading the legion of superheroes from the beginning and it seems to me that the quality of the stories is better in that series versus what marvel's putting out but the relationships between the characters and the angst that the characters go through in relation to their powers is what sets marvel apart that in the interconnectedness of the stories other than superboy and supergirl showing up in the legion they're totally a standalone series in dc's stables. i suspect from what i've read that dc was all like that and marvel was a breath of fresh air in this regard thanks again for the podcast Thank you for the letter, Sean.
0: Yeah, I definitely, I definitely am excited to do, you know, a my DC year. You know, when DC Universe finally catches up to the, the, the gloriousness of Marvel Unlimited's capabilities, oh, so but good. Legion is, is one that I would really love to dive into. I have not read uh, really much Legion at all. Just some of the key stories, and I, I think the idea of them being higher quality is like, I guess, it's not really surprising to me because I don't, you just have such a, like a more stable infrastructure. You know, like, you have a series that's been running for a while. Um, It makes sense to me that they would be, like, a little sturdier. Uh, That said, obviously, there are these differences. And, yeah, I do think, like, my understanding of DC Comics at the time is that they are not nearly as interconnected. But, again, like, until I do a My DC Year type binge, you know, I won't be able to say
1: that. Yeah, so someone was talking on the Slack channel about this, about how, like, anytime there was a lot of crossover stuff it all kind of fell into this like not Else Worlds, but the kind of uh like what if alternate world play space of DC that, that it wasn't like this canon crossing over a shared universe quite so much which is somewhat of the reason that they needed to smush everything together in the 80s with Crisis of Infinite Earth and kind of set up mm-hmm. a, a brand new canonical world which you know actually like i've never really thought about this it was only when this came up in conversation i've never read a dc comic pre-crisis of it in- on infinite earths like mm. ever I, I which is kind of surprising i don't think i've ever touched anything before like batman year one that's probably the earliest dc comic i've read and i've read a ton of dc now at this point yeah. and even a ton of like late 80s early 90s stuff but yeah I, th- I guess there was something to uh to them rebooting the whole thing that really worked because i was not paying attention before that
0: well, it does mark it does mark this sort of like barrier in DC continuity. Yeah, where it is like, well, if you go past nineteen eighty five, all of that stuff gets you know rebooted and and like returned anyway.
1: Mm-hmm. So,
0: kind of why bother if you're interested in what the what the characters are like today? Yeah, um, which I think, well, it's there's a much bigger DC conversation, but like it does make the universe a little. I don't know. It's a little easier if you know that there's like a firm line in the sand yeah. somewhere, but then in some ways it's like, well, but all that stuff before didn't count, it, it raises complications as well.
1: Yeah. All right. Last letter.
0: So Tyler writes,
1: hi, Dave and Zach.
0: Love the show. You guys rule, Etc. Etc. et cetera. This isn't directly related to the comics we read for 1963, but was something I thought of as I read these early X-Men issues, which I sort of found underwhelming. It seems from poking around online that Claremont's very long run is regarded as the essential take on the characters. I was wondering which writers and artists you guys think provide the canonical interpretations of the characters we've seen, Captain America, Spider-Man, the FF, etc., across their entire history. Thanks for the question, Tyler. So, I I think there's two parts, two ways this question could be interpreted, and one is just canonical interpretations across history, which I, I'm hesitant to go into in as much detail right now because um, we haven't gotten there obviously yeah. in the club and I don't necessarily want to jump too far forward in the future so the way I'm going to reinterpret this for the time being is who which characters actually have their canonical sort of interpretation set in the 60s in mm-hmm. this era that we're reading um as opposed to later so like you already said the x-men 100 this is not really their like their um leading run of comics that will that will start with Chris Claremont writing. And a whole slew of artists, of course, contributing, um, like in 1975. So I think it's somewhat easy to think of like, you know, characters where I'm like, oh, who's the canonical take? Oh, Daredevil, Frank Miller, you know, like, but I'm not going to do it that way. We're going to look at who's, who really, if you're like, this is the essential story for these characters is actually Mm -hmm. set in the 60s. And I think the the first ones that jump to mind are, it's going to be all the big guns. Like Fantastic Four, I think, is probably the easiest one to say. If You're going to say to somebody, Hey, you should read good Fantastic Four. You can hand them the Lee and Kirby stuff and feel pretty good about that. Yeah, um, there are good modern runs, Wade and Ringo Hickman writing later in the 2000s, but I would still say everything, it, definitely everything in the up until the year 2000 is, is coming from this 60s run, like yeah. nothing really tops it in Fantastic
1: Four. Hmm. Interesting. Yeah, yeah, I mean, it, it all seems like all this matters, right, for the Fantastic Four. Like, mm-hmm. there's, there's stuff that's happening in the next two, three years that feels like, yeah, this is all stuff that's going to inform these characters from now on, right? Like, and we're, we're really finding out who they are. And Spider-Man as well. I mean, I feel like... Spider-Man's a little trickier. I, I think
0: I think his Lee, Dicko, and then the John Romita stuff definitely definitely is the canonical. Like, you should read these first 100 issues, no matter who you are. I uh-huh. um, agree. Because they're great Spider-Man stories. I, there are like two more parts to his history up until the year two thousand that I think are that add to the character in a way that like I don't think necessarily Fantastic Four gets added to. So what other what other characters? I guess is the tough
1: one. Um, so I mean Doctor Strange. I don't know that enough enough about to say like I mean he. I would say he does. Does, does he? Yeah. Okay, because his world is not built up that much right now. Like or cause... when I say
0: when I say he does, I would say. This, the 60s is the canonical Doctor Strange.
1: Oh, okay. Gotcha, gotcha, gotcha. And to what me. about... what about um... Thor, I would say no. Yes, that's who I was going to say. Actually,
0: <laughs> I quite like Thor. Yeah. But I would not say this is the go-to run. That's going to be in the 80s with Simonson for me.
1: Oh, yeah. I mean, Simonson finds, like, such cool stuff to to pull out about the Thor stuff. But, like, yeah. Yeah, I don't know. I, I really... I'm just, like, I'm really loving... Thor has been, like... I've never been i haven't hated thor been against thor but i've never been a huge thor comic fan and this run through of the the marvelous year has turned me into like a big thor fan yeah but in the 60s so
0: no it's not not that it's not good it's just i don't i and and like i think if you asked walt simonson yeah um, he'd say kirby's the king and that his his work on the characters absolutely shapes his run um would be my guess yeah but uh for my taste. Definitely say
1: the 80s. You don't think like the, the real like heart of the character gets found until Simon Singh comes on? It doesn't get expanded quite the same way. No. Yeah. Um, who
0: else do we have then? Uh, Cap? Definitely not. Um, Avengers? Definitely not.
1: I guess, I, you know what I'm thinking of when he says like canonical versions? I'm thinking less like the literal canon of the details of these characters and more like when you think about Daredevil, like what are you thinking about and who found that like, that core to the character and brought it out, right? So I'm thinking... Like, what creative teams,
0: like, right. like, made that happen, right? Like, what runs
1: Right, so I'm thinking, like, for Daredevil, right? Daredevil's a good example, because I think when you think about Daredevil, you think about... I mean, you think about his blindness, you think about his, uh, his job as a lawyer, and the fact that, like, um, that interplay between his day job as a lawyer trying to fight within the system versus his night job of, like... You know, fighting for when the system fails and the like the tension between those two, and then him fighting against like corruption rather than stilt man, uh, is, <laughs> um, it, is like such a big part of that. Like bringing Kingpin in as a daredevil villain, you know, versus him fighting like big mechanical superheroes or yeah. Namor or whatever, right? Like that, that kind of like that feeling, and who found that and who like realized that, like, this is what makes this character tick and this is the world that he works in right. and it like solidifies that. So I, I think you're right. Like I think Fantastic 4 and Spider-Man to a degree are I feel like they are the Spider-Man and Fantastic 4 generally that will will always know. Yeah,
0: uh Doctor Strange it, it fits the bill as well. I, I think um Nick Fury
1: actually is probably another yeah. one. Oh, when he comes in in a couple of years, yeah.
0: Where yeah, when we get to him, his 60 spy stories um and dealing with Shield, I would say and especially the one, mm-hmm. the, once uh, Jim Steranko, the artist who we'll, who we'll talk about quite a bit, um, gets to like define the character and just the style and kind of the coolness of him being a spy. I don't think anything yeah. really touches that either. But otherwise, I would say most of the Marvel canon that we've talked about to date or that people are familiar with uh, will get like interpretations that that become, yeah, like you're saying with Daredevil, like really what, when we think of the characters today, what do we think of? I think most of those will come later. Um,
1: I don't know if there's anybody. Yeah. Is there anybody we're skipping. I mean, Hulk, Ant-Man, like neither of them seem like they have anything yeah. to them except their power. Like they don't have personality. They don't have like, they don't have an aesthetic to their world, right? I feel like each of these characters, you can think of them and like immediately place them within like what kind of setting they work in. And, you know, Spider-Man has Spider-Man and Daredevil work in New York City rooftops, but like yeah. in kind of different ways a little bit. And that you kind of feel that existing Fantastic Four exist in this science world <laughs> of, you know, cosmic science.
0: I guess Iron Man is the one other that people would be looking for. And he's definitely canonical definitely comes later. When you think of Iron Man, for me, at least I think of him being an alcoholic. Yeah. Um, and then I think of him yeah. being Robert Downey Jr., so mm-hmm. one of those comes in the late 70s, and then one of those is reimagined <laughs> by Warren Ellis in the
1: mid-2000s. So I guess we actually kind of did end up talking about his question, like, fully. <laughs> I had a feeling I wasn't going to be able to help it. Um, yeah. Yeah, well, we did a good maybe. job doing it without, like, really spoiling anything for people, I think. Yeah, I hope so. Yeah. yeah. All right, so that's our uh, that's our listener feedback. Thanks again to everyone who sent in some letters. We really love hearing from you, and obviously they're great Great places for us to launch our discussion. For 1964, we're going to split that into two years again, split into two episodes for February 11th and February 18th. If you want to get your feedback in for the 1964 comics, please get that to us at at gmail.com by February 19th, end of day. Keep
0: listening for outtakes and deleted scenes from our 1963 episode in which Zach and I uh, potentially make fools of ourselves, Mm -hmm. and and we do not actually broadcast that, but we'll share it here with you for the variant cover episode. Again, if you like the show, um, check out My Marvelous Year, subscribe, rate, review, wherever you're getting your pods. That will greatly help us. In the meantime, of course, as Zach said— you know, get your feedback into my here at gmail.com. We look forward to hearing from more of you as we continue this ride through Marvel 60s and, of course, all of Marvel's history. And as we kind of talked about today, um, the comics keep improving. They're going to keep getting better. So, so stay with us because we're going to get some really good stuff going yeah. into 1964. Yeah,
1: for sure. Oh, and hey, if you know anyone who, uh, who you think would be interested in Marvel comics or checking this out, uh, just let them know about the podcast. Uh, I mean, we'd really appreciate spreading our audience more, getting getting this into more more people's ears. And, uh, you know, I, th- I think we'd really appreciate you uh, helping us spread the word. Yeah, cool. Uh,
0: just final credit here. Music for My Marvelous Year is by Disaster Peace. Thank you to Disaster Peace, P-E-A-C-E, for the <laughs> awesome intro <interest> song. <laughs> it's an important spelling. I, I would have gone P-I-E-C-E, you know?
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. I yeah, wouldn't he, know yeah he's great uh yeah if you uh if you're interested if you if you like chiptune music and prog rock which i don't even know if i would say i like either as particularly well but together <laughs> he has an album called rise of the obsidian interstellar which is not like a soundtrack which is normally what he works in i think that's so cool um rise of the obsidian interstellar it's on spotify or wherever else it's it's really good
0: i'm totally gonna check that out yeah
1: oh yeah yeah you definitely should
0: all right. Thanks everybody for listening, and we will see you next year. I'll see you next year.
1: But also, speaking of, you just mentioned a wedding. Uh, at some point in this issue, they are at Alicia Masters' Ben Ben Grimm's blind friend's house, and she is she has done carvings of all their greatest foes. So it's just basically an excuse for Jack Kirby to draw all of uh, all the Fantastic Four's foes, and the Submariner is included in there. And Sue says mm-hmm. something like oh, he's not that much of a villain, making some excuses for him. And Reed immediately gets jealous and says like, Oh, do you have feelings for him? I, Sue, I thought, hmm, I thought we had an understanding. The the sexiest way to talk about your relationship is to, <laughs> to, to, to mumble that we I thought we had an understanding.
0: Yeah, it's a very platonic, early sort of like engagement. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah, it's c- almost like arranged.
1: Yeah, Sue doesn't commit here. She kind of It's like, oh, I don't know. I'm so conflicted. Like Submariner is still, you know, kind of on the table for her.
0: Yes. And they they will definitely keep playing with
1: that um, as we keep going. There's one other thing about two that I want to point out, which is that Spider-Man does have a turn of luck because all of these photos he's selling, he's getting a fortune. Uh, And it does show him going home with a bundle of cash and handing Aunt May all this money and then saying... Like, our our luck has changed. I paid rent off for the rest of the year, and tomorrow I'm br- buying you all brand new appliances. And Aunt May yeah. just immediately accepts that her 16-year-old nephew all of a sudden came and do an enormous amount of money with no suspicion <laughs> whatsoever. And it just says, like, oh, I'm so proud of you, when, you know, clearly to anyone else, he's involved in crime or dealing drugs. Right. <laughs> yeah, right. no suspicion. Uh, yeah, so Amazing Spider-Man number three. I think i said spider nan i'm gonna take that again
0: <laughs> thank you for the excellent intro and we will see you next half of the year
1: uh, yeah see yeah i guess that doesn't work anymore huh? <laughs> <laughs> <That was weird. laughs> yeah yeah we'll have, we'll have to come up with something. i mean i think you can just say see you next year and we'll let's do it yeah
0: and we will see you
1: next year right, see you next year there's there's one letter i want to point out where in in spider-man 2 spider-man was chasing down a helicopter and pulled the doors off of it uh to to break into it uh there's a letter that says question how was the spider-man able to rip the door of the helicopter off its hinges or do spiders normally have this ability (laughs) 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 like (laughs) that's amazing already with the pedants like (laughs) (laughs)
0: <laughs> I I so highly recommend if you're doing this for the first time to read the letters pages. Um, they are so much fun.
1: Yeah, just just to read that you know it's not just internet message boards where people love to pick apart every little piece of logic of these these crazy fantasy stories. Uh, for, sure, for sure, it still happening in the '60s. Yeah, but
0: like you'll see, and this is a tangent, but you know you'll see like George R. R. Martin mm-hmm. writes in. I want to say in the pages of Fantastic oh, really? Four in one of these '60s. Oh wow, pages, cool. Yeah, we'll have to look that up and maybe we'll share it on the on the Patreon or uh, Instagram or yeah, something. Yeah, very neat. But um there's some there's some really fun stuff as far as like who
1: writes in, because you see some familiar names. Cool. Who Hank Hank is immediately struck with because he reminds her he reminds him of her wife. <laughs> Gee, oh my god, I'm gonna get the pronouns right. He reminds him of she reminds him <laughs> of his wife. <laughs> <laughs> pronouns are tough. Oh my god. Uh I have to say it clean one time. So Fantastic Four number 16. Yes, absolutely.
0: So this is a two-part Fantastic Four story. It's the last of its kind that we're going to cover in detail in uh, the 63 portion of MMY. So
1: no, wait, 17 too. Right. Two parts, two parts, FF-16 and uh, FF-17. Sorry, I I didn't hear that. (laughs) (laughs) I I said it let's take that clean so I don't sound like an idiot. <laughs> <laughs> no, leave it in, leave it in. Um, okay. Okay, so... I feel like I read some Fantastic Four later at some point that, like, played with him swapping back and forth between his brick version and his, like, melty version. Oh, he'll, Am I
0: imagining he'll, he'll get all sorts of, of different no, but it was, like, a plot
1: point that, like, he transitioned back to it. I, I might be just imagining. To the mushy like, version, I
0: mean, certainly between human yeah. and brick, I won't do anything.
1: It's top dog or nothing.
0: Yeah, I won't assist anybody. And it's like you know, it's kind of a it's metaphorical, but it's also literally his his problem. Um, you can delete that last sentence, which made no sense.
1: <laughs> I you know I like glanced away at my notes and I didn't even really <laughs> hear what you said. So <laughs> I'll I'll listen to this again in editing and decide. No worries. Um, so yeah, so, all right, cool. So
0: those are our comics for 1963. Uh, with that said, let's do some end
1: credits. <laughs> we can't always move into the end credits by saying let's move into <laughs> the end It's a really smooth credits. transition, right? <laughs> yeah, let's, uh, I'll, 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 take us in. Okay. Yeah. I don't know what it was. There was, there's something. Allow applications to take exclusive control of this device that was selected. Allow, <laughs> allow artificial intelligence to rule. No, never mind. It's still, it's still doing it. Okay.
0: <laughs> Just let me say now, when the, when the robot takes over as my co-host, um, I'm happy to have you, and I look forward to working <laughs> with you.
1: Thank you, Dave. <laughs> Would you like me to open the pod door, Dave? <laughs> I'm Dave. I'm Zach.
0: Welcome to my marvelous year.